From Flourish DX, this is the Mentally Healthy Workplaces Asia podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a critical issue for businesses, this is the source of information for creating sustainable and mentally healthy workplaces in Asia. Hi, my name is Wen Lee Lim and I'm the Chief Impact Officer at Flourish DX and host of this podcast. The purpose of this podcast is for conversations and practical guidance from subject matter experts, service providers, innovative tech platforms, and employers in the region. Taking a shared responsibility approach to workplace mental health is imperative. So not just as individuals, but as employers, colleagues, and the broader community to help create mentally healthy workplaces so we can prevent suffering and promote human flourishing. Uh, welcome to today's uh, episode, and we have a very special guest here, Brad Reed, Executive Wellness Coach. Hi, Brad. Hi, Wen. You're such a natural. What a what an amazing intro. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know I'll I, I just be honest. Actually, the intro is probably my least favorite part of the podcast. I just want to dive into it and get into the conversation. <laughs> Yeah. But Brad, your life is super interesting. I mean, the last time we spoke um, ahead of this podcast, you were in Guatemala and yeah. now you are currently in Cambodia and heading back to Vietnam. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, at a time when not many people are traveling, what has that been like to travel? You know what? It's, you have to find the silver lining in everything, or at least that's what I try to do. Right. Um, and was it easy? Absolutely not wrought with challenges, but you know, there was this urge inside of me to go see my family, get out of my comfort zone for a while, head back to the Western hemisphere and see what was going on. And so I went to Guatemala on November 11th and I was there just shy of three months. I climbed a volcano, I got COVID, I had all sorts of travel problems. <laughs> and, then, and then I hopped on an airline, um, a 42 hour flight from Guatemala right into Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Um, and here I am talking to you on this lovely podcast. So, oh my yeah, goodness. <laughs> I don't know. The 42 hours to me is like a big thing already. And you've had all the other things piled up into it. I can't even imagine the admin involved in trying to travel at the moment. So, good on you and welcome Thank back you. into Asia. So, we got connected um, by actually a colleague of mine at Farish DX. And um, I found out that you were doing work in Vietnam. And one of the things that we really love to highlight is actually what's going on in other parts of um, Asia. So I'm based in Singapore and, you know, we have a lot of Singapore guests um, come on, but I was like, man, Vietnam, we got to hear more about what's happening in the, in the workspace, in the mental health uh, space. So yeah, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and your journey today and how you landed up in Vietnam being a executive wellness coach yeah so i'll try and make a really long story kind of short sure. give you like a highlight reel, okay so you know i struggled with mental health issues quite serious and physical health issues for a long time um it was sort of in top of mind or at least at least it was always something i was dealing with in my 20s in particular between 23 and 27 long story short went through a radical healing process mind body integration spiritual wellness etc and I had this calling to southeast asia and so i hopped on a one way ticket to um, bangkok and that was january 30th 2018 and i said i'm going to make this work i don't know what i'm going to do but i got to follow my heart as a friend of mine once said our heart is the first leader we ever knew follow it and so i did that and then long story short, I tentative plans to, I traveled Southeast Asia four or five months. And then I went to Vietnam with tentative plans to teach English for a year, save some money and continue my, uh, my spiritual sojourn over in India. 
but I got to Vietnam and never taught English. And I was there, you know, three and a half years and I'm going back. Right. And I started to get into corporate training and leadership development. It was sort of a fluke. Um, I was sent an invite one day to do a half day workshop on coaching. My business partner at the time said, hey, you've done coaching before. Why don't you check it out? I did it. And then long story short, a lot of companies started asking for my services and my training. But I was kind of doing more conventional leadership development. That's how I built most of my career. So when you think of conflict management, when you think of communications, when you think of high performing teams, that's what I was doing. But I wasn't assimilating the spiritual um, wellness, mental health component into that yet. That's what a lot of my personal journey was. That's what I did with a lot of my private clients, but I hadn't integrated the two. Until about a year ago, when I realized quite viscerally and experientially that the source of most of the people I was working with, and the vast majority were junior to middle managers, was their personal well-being. It's like when you got to the core of the issue, it was an interplay between how they felt with their personal lives and their interior world, and of course, how they felt with their, um, in relation to their team members. And so I started to dig a little bit, did some research, and I'm like, ah, okay, there's a big connection here. And it turns out there's a massive connection between wellness and well-being, team synergy, psychological safety, and organizational performance. And then so I started to, you know, take the research, take my experience together, do events, webinars, workshops to try and educate first about the power of wellness, well-being, and performance, specifically organizational performance. And so very long story short, when that's how I got into what I was doing. <laughs> Thank you. No, that was very well summarized. Um, and so Vietnam, I mean, I don't really know much about, you know, workplaces there and um, the state of mental health. I mean, in terms of in Singapore, you know, the pandemic has really brought that to the front of mind for organizations, for people, for community in general. Um, and so a word that was hardly and barely used probably like, you know, um, three, four years ago, it's now, um, you know, all the time you see it in the papers, um, in the news, and people are talking about it. How is it like in Vietnam when it comes to mental health and also um, thinking about mental health in the workplace? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So keep in mind, I'm going to qualify this by I'm still a foreigner, and I'm not fluent in Vietnamese. And so I, I can't give, you know, a full um, comprehensive answer to this, I can only share my own experience. That being said, um, my experience is extensive and I've noticed a couple of trends. Number one, mental health still really isn't a thing. You know, in the West, it's these buzzwords like well-being, wellness, mental health, um, all this stuff. It's, it's permeated the culture really well. So everybody knows it, at least at the surface. They understand that it's an issue. A lot of people face it and there's solutions, whether it be a psychologist, whether it be um, medication, whether it be whatever, whatever the solution is, people generally have an understanding that there's a problem and there's a way to solve it. My experience in Vietnam is there's generally not this understanding that there's a problem to begin with. Okay. So some people are, you know, they're hyper aware of what mental health is, especially the younger generations. You say something mental health or stress management, they're all over it. But again, a lot of people have no idea. It's just something that isn't really well circulated, isn't really well discussed, it isn't really well nourished inside of the conversations that you have in the professional world. So if I do a mental health workshop, which I have several, you know, for free pro bono, this is what always happens. About 50% of the people show up with their cameras off and their microphones off. And I have a feeling they're going, what is this? Like, what is this mental health stress management stuff? 
Then the other 50%, of that 50%, half are really engaged, enthusiastic, they want to learn, they want help. And then the other half of the people with the cameras on are just listening. And so again, it's this, it's people are becoming aware that stress and unhappiness in the workplace is an issue in particular in the past couple of years because of COVID, but it's just not something that's talked about. You know, the firm, the foundations or the soil, so to speak, hasn't been laid to nourish um, proper systems or tools or mechanisms to deal with mental health in the workplace. And actually it's interesting because part of my job then, as we talked about, you know, before the podcast is, is educating and building this, you know, I'll call myself a thought leader, quote unquote, but <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't want to get carried away with that, but to build awareness around the issue, do workshops, educate and brand the importance of wellness, well-being, and performance. Um, and so that's my long-winded answer to that. No, thank you. And um, I've been to Vietnam and also I kind of saw there's this culture where people just, they work multiple jobs. Um, yes. So you have like your day job and then you have your night gig and literally they go from one job to another and it's very much um, just the normal way. Um, and are you seeing kind of, is that coming to a point of burnout or are people are still just fine? Because I guess um, for the people listening in and, you know, may who may not, not have been there. I mean, poverty is not that far away. Um, mm. You know, a lot of these countries have come out of poverty recently and, you know, have, you know, just even sanitation and just really simple things like that. Um, it's not a given. It's not like being there for the last 50 years. And so yeah. I guess the hustle in terms of just working a lot of jobs and making ends meet, that kind of drove them. Um, is there a tipping point now? Are you seeing in terms of the Vietnamese working culture? It's such an interesting point you say that. And I like to sometimes equate um, where Vietnam is to where the West was, you know, 30 to 50 years ago after the baby boomers. It was like very much a do paradigm. It's like, let's do this so we can get this. Let's do this so we can get this. The economy was growing. Um, you know, it was one, it was a very, after the war, a lot of the baby, the veterans came home, had children, but it was a relatively scarce time. I mean, my grandparents knew scarcity. My grandfather fought in the war. He saw some pretty nasty stuff. You look at his, Vietnam, you're right. They're one degree, maybe two degrees away from what you would call poverty. And so the value system is very different. It's let's acquire funds, let's get security. So if you look at security and resource acquisition, that's one of the top priorities um, for the young generation of Vietnam. And that's reflected in things like dealing with issues around mental health because they're very much in a do paradigm. Let's do this to get this. Let's do this to get this. Let's do this to get this. Yes, it leads to burnout. The advantage that Vietnamese have now is that the permeation of information is so vast. And so it's not gonna take you know, 10 to 15 years for people to start to wake up to the fact that I'm burned out, I'm stressed, I have mental health issues because we have Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and all this YouTube and all this stuff which talks about these issues that they're facing. And so I'm not going to say there's a tipping point, but the tipping point will come far sooner in Vietnam than it did in the West, because the transmission of information is so much more vast. And so when I'm running workshops and trainings, they're very, very appreciative and they're very, very aware that mental health is an issue, at least for them individually. They may not be able to point at it and be like, you know, this is stress or anxiety or depression, but they know there's an issue and they really want it solved. They don't feel good. It causes problems. And so they're sort of in this, um, I'd say, bridging the two worlds now. 
which is the old do paradigm work, get money, find security. And actually there's more to life than this. I want to feel passionate about what I do. I want to have purpose when I wake up. I want to go to bed with a smile. I need to feel good about this. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting paradigm that we're in. I wouldn't say it's a tipping point yet. Not yet. I, I, I don't want to be too overly optimistic. I think there's, still, there's definitely a broader awareness for sure. Mm. So definitely education plays a big part in, um, in all of that. And actually prevention um, with education and knowledge, then you can really put in the safety rails and the safeguards to protect yourself. Um, just like, you know, physical health and exercise and nutrition, all these things. It's how do we, how can they do that? So in terms of the work that you're doing in workplaces, so, you know, you say you run talks and webinars um, and all that. So can you maybe describe a little bit more of what's getting really good reception um, at the, you know, the corporates and the organizations that you're working with? Well, it, it really depends on the company. So remember, we're still working predominantly in the old value structure, which is how do I get an ROI or result quickly? What's my KPI? How do I make more money? How do I acquire more resources? And so there's a differential or an understanding gap, a knowledge gap between wellness, well-being, and performance. You know, it may be seen as, as flaky or maybe it's too far off or maybe the ROI is not quick enough or so all these things. And the companies that get it really get it. They're wonderful to work with because they appreciate things like psychological safety, emotional intelligence, wellness and performance and stress management. And the talent that I work with, especially the junior level people, they implicitly understand those concepts. And so if those companies that understand it, which are still mostly multinational, great to work with. For the majority of the other companies, to be frank, it's a tough sell. What are you really selling here? Smiles, joy, um, hippie, you know, are we going <laughs> to become a, a, a commune of hippies? And there's some challenges I have when it comes to well-being and wellness in the workplace. Um, sometimes senior managers or CEOs or HR reps, whoever it may be, may challenge me a little bit and say, well, if everyone's happy all the time, they're not going to work very hard. I've, I've, had, I've heard these objections before. Or how can I be kind all the time when I need to, or I need to ensure performance? And so there's, there's this really big disconnect and, and misunderstanding about psychological capital, which is personal well-being, psychological safety, which is team well-being, and how that can actually improve performance on all kinds of different metrics. And so there, there's a huge disconnect between the idea that when people feel good, they work harder, they perform better. It's, it's almost like when people feel good, they're going to become more lazy. They're going to sleep more, more complacent. And so I'm dealing with that challenge. And I haven't necessarily, I don't know the perfect recipe to deal with it, except to cite the case studies, cite the literature, and look at the global trends and be like, actually, this is what happens. And get into some neurobiology, neuroscience be, behind wellness, performance, creativity, and execution, which is really interesting. But yeah, really, really interesting challenges. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. wow. That is some really, really fascinating. That it like that is equated. That if you're happy, you're gonna be lazy and not interested in work. When actually, it's the complete opposite. Um, yeah. yeah, that you really enjoy your work and you thrive at work and you do better. Um, okay, yeah, well, there's, there's yeah. a persistent false equivocation between how people feel, if they feel good, they must be complacent. There's, it's a consistent challenge or objection that I see. If people feel good, they're happy, they must be more complacent. And I, it's, it's, a, it's a 
common misperception that I'm consistently dealing with and trying to shatter. <laughs> so yeah. really unique challenge. And I never expected that, but it's one that I face all the time. Yeah. And I guess it's the assumptions in doing any work that, you know, as you go along the work, you discover these things that you're like, oh, whoa, didn't see that coming. Um, Ashley, and and I'm going to put it out there to the listeners, whoever's listening to this, um, and you have any ideas, contact Brad on um, LinkedIn and just, yeah, because it'd be really interesting to see how to change mindsets around this area. Um, And that people don't need to suffer in order to do good work at all. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I, I bet you there's a lot of history underneath this. It's like, you know, winding back and going, okay, what happened in the last you know 100 years even um that led to this belief um so now we've talked about the workplaces that you know you've worked with and you know the challenges um maybe some maybe we flip to the other side on you know what is the ideal client that you would love to work with with vietnam i mean like what is your dream for workplaces in vietnam yeah it's i've since developed a lot more clarity around this and it's mostly junior and middle management. The reason being is because the receptivity and appreciation for these concepts is so much more widespread. And so even if they don't fully understand ideas about mental health and stress management, depression, wellness, well-being, et cetera, they have ripe palates for it. They have open minds, willingness to learn, um, a joy to feel good. And so when you connect with people, you can create much more optimal impact. And so that's my sweet spot. And I'm really going to start talking about that more when it comes to junior and middle management, in particular, talent that's developing. I mean, a lot of the Vietnamese workforce is quite young, and the future of Vietnam is in the youth. And so the greatest impact that I can create, in particular around the idea of leadership development, wellness, well-being, and performance, is with the younger crowd. I, I Privately, I tend to work with older professionals senior professionals, managers, um, a few executive, but it isn't really my target for organizations. In organizations, I want to take teams from point A to point B, in particular, like I said, junior to middle managers who are just ripe. They want to learn, they're eager, they appreciate this stuff and they're like, you know what? Yeah, I can't have a good day at work and still get a lot of stuff done. So that's that's sort of the ideal client, if, if, if you will. And I'm working with a few organizations now who are Vietnamese, of course, and they're sort of doing similar work. So we have some collaborations going on and it's going really well. Um, We tend to find that that's the sweet spot. So I'd say an age, probably 20, between 24 and 39-ish, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. In addition, that's sort of the demographic, but the company needs to be bought into the concept. It's a really tough sell when the company's bought in because that's also representative of of the company culture. So if it's a sales company that's extraordinarily KPI-driven, ROI-driven, introducing a program like this, right off the bat, you're going to have the wrong idea of what success looks like. So when I work with a company, we need to really, really synergize on what programs like this are, how long they actually take, and the realistic measures of of what KPIs are and what ROIs are. It's not conventional. You know, if they they come back to me after three months and say, we didn't see a 15% increase in revenue... (laughs) It's like that disconnect at the beginning, it's just not going to work. I used to be a lot more idealistic about this, you know, three, four years ago when I was starting and I can be a hero and save an organization and no, absolutely cannot. So the culture itself, right from leadership needs to have a healthy palate for this kind of stuff. They need to appreciate that organizational transformation takes time. 
Team performance development takes time. The KPIs are different. They can be more subjective. You're not gonna see immediate returns on investment. Okay, so all this, they have to appreciate that implicitly. Then we can meet in the middle and develop a program that works. And so those two things, I hope that that's clear in terms of the demographic that I love to work with and the company. The culture is super important. Leadership, HR, management really needs to be bought in. If not, it's really not going to work very well because we're going to be coming from different paradigms and we're going to be looking for different things in terms of how you would measure success. So, yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> So the whole concept of like immediate results, I think that is just Asia in general. Um, so even, um, so, um, you know, rehab and just even, um, you know, if you're going to go into the doctor, you want quick fixes, even for your yes. health, right? Sure. It's like, they have no time. Um, it's like, okay, we're going to do something. I want to see immediate results. Give me the pill. Give me the, you know, the magic potion. I'm done. Like I don't have time to rehab. I don't have time to actually work on stuff. And then it takes six months. Um, so I think even the time frames and the expectations, like you said, really needs, you need to be on the same page. Otherwise, yeah, they're going to say this doesn't work. Sure. Um, and so how, so I'm guessing then you're very targeted because mindset shift is really, really difficult. Um, yeah. Have you had a success maybe that you can share that you were able to slowly, or is it something that's still work in progress to work with these organizations to change their shift on what is success um, and how important this work is? It's, it's getting there, you know, in terms of keep in mind, this is, I've been doing leadership development and training for about three and a half years now. Now, that being said, I've pivoted into the area of wellness, well-being and performance in the past six to nine months. And what I've noticed is there's a slow momentum picking up. And so a lot of people are understanding more, in particular, HR. So HR, more heart-centered people, if you look at you know, their behavioral profiles or their personality profiles, they tend to be more empathic, more human-centered, hence you know, the position in HR. And so we're finding that HR is picking up on it more. I ran a lot of workshops last year, and the title was Wellness, Well-Being, and the Future of Performance. And so the majority of the attendees were senior managers, HR, and a few CEOs. The case studies that I would say have been successful have been when I've acquired a, a, a contract to develop talent for a team or leadership skills for a team over the course of a year, year and a half. And it was sold under the guise of conventional leadership development, which is we're going to look at communication. We're going to look at conflict. We're going to look at this and this. So that's what we did when... Okay, don't get me wrong, I wasn't being duplicitous, but the whole undertone, the whole fabric of that program, I emphasized well-being, wellness at the individual level and the team level. And so, yes, we learned about conflict management, but it wasn't, it wasn't just a reactive method. It was a very proactive way of generating internal harmony, peace, happiness, joy, confidence, and then, okay, great, that's the most Let's nourish that soil. Then we can talk about things like conflict management strategies, communication strategies. So it's much easier, I found in particular, I won't name the company, but that was a very successful um, year and a half leadership and talent development program that I did. But again, the fabric of that program was optimizing their level of well-being and wellness. And then it was so easy to add on the other things that you would consider conventional leadership development, like conflict communications, et cetera. Because they they had weren't they were receptive to it they were open, it's like yeah I feel better we're communicating better we trust each other I come into work with energy and a smile okay you want to give me a strategy to improve my conflict nice 
easy to do mm. as opposed to the other way around which is let's stay let's stay miserable let's stay stressed out let's not trust each other and then let's do a conflict management training and pretend that it'll solve everything so it, <laughs> yeah so I hope that makes sense yeah yeah no I'm so I mean even in Singapore a lot of people were kind of in mental health in the workplace or mental health wasn't talked about like 20 years ago so a lot of the psychologists and the practitioners here were like using resilience work so a lot yeah. of people were very open to resilience work um, at corporates and all that. And then, and but they knew at the, you know, that it will shift, but you just have to package it in a way that there will be receptiveness, but you build it all into the program. Because um, otherwise, yeah, they're just going to be like, no, thank you. Where you actually know it can be an integrated kind of approach that you um, address what their real needs are, like as they see it. Uh, and then yeah. you bring in all the others. So yeah, I think it is very, very common theme across, um, yeah, all different parts of Asia that, um, yeah, practitioners and service providers providers have had to do that. Um, in it, you know, when the when they were an early adopter or you know knew about the best way to do it, but then bringing their clients on this journey. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, no judgment there. I know you're like, no, it's like duplicity, but it's not at all. Like you know, you're yeah. actually meeting the um, the outcomes that they want to see. Sure. And it, it yeah. was, it was an extraordinarily successful program. I think it, it, the rating from all the, because I did two groups, I did a junior talent group, which were the, the, really the first line managers. Then I did the middle managers and it was rated about 4.8 out of five round, just completely round trip. Right. So um, it was a sort of, for me, a bit of a, we'll call it a, a litmus test or a sandbox project, whatever you want to call it, mm. but it was extraordinarily successful. And I'm, they, they actually asked me back to do specific wellness, well-being coaching, which is great. Okay. Yeah. Cause they're like, how did you, how did this work so well? And I said, well, here's why. And they're okay. Well, we have another team that we'd like you to look after. And I said, okay. And just to touch on resilience, you know, psychological capital in the literature is defined by four things. One of them is resilience. So we always talk about resilience It's become a big buzzword. It's super important. You're absolutely right. But it's one component of psychological capital. There's also self-efficacy, which is the belief in yourself to perform and do well, your confidence. There's also hope. Okay, if you have a team that's resilient, but they have no hope. <laughs> and then optimism. People really do need to believe in a brighter future for themselves and the team and the organization. And so all these things together, they work in a really positive synergy. And so there's tends to be a hyper-focus on the resilience component, which you can boil it down as really emotional regulation, self-regulation, mindfulness, things like this. It's the capacity to handle stress, right? So your stress bandwidth increases. Mm. That's great. But what about the other three components? That's really, really important too. What about psychological safety? That's extremely important too, as we talked about before. Yeah. And so again, yes, um, it tends to be a little bit unidimensional when we talk, but we can't forget about those other components as well. Mm. Yeah. I guess it's the starting point where people using a language that people understand um, yeah. and then building on that, because when you're trying to bring a new concept, I mean, not a new concept, but a concept that is foreign or not very well, um, yeah, socialized uh, in a particular country or, you know, in a particular workplace, um, I think we always forget to just start where they are at. Um, sure. and to build upon that um, rather than coming in and going, bam, you know, and because it's just lost in translation. I'm sure so many times you might've felt that it's like, oh, that was completely lost. Um, 
yeah, just not the right wavelength and just not the right place. Um, even sure. in the work that we do, like, I mean, we we're in the psychological health and safety um, area and it's unheard of in this area. So then we, we thought, you know, instead of doing a podcast on psych health and safety, which we do out of Australia, why don't we just talk about just what does a mentally healthy workplace look like? Uh, in mm -hmm. Asia and highlight really great employers that are doing something in this area. Um, and then we can slowly build from there because everyone has a different growth um, and pace of growth um, where, you know, different things are adopted. So I think, um, yeah, and this is just through learning, right? It's like being on the ground, experimenting, and then seeing the success cases and then going from there. Um, sure. Yeah. And so do you do any work, other work um, in other regions of uh, Southeast Asia, or is it predominantly in Vietnam? Yeah, predominantly Vietnam. But one of the reasons I'm in Cambodia now is because I had a few meetings set up um, around people with a very like mind. So we had a very good synergy. I had a meeting last night, and the gentleman's retired, and he's running basically a mental health and wellness program here. So he's trying to do that here in Siem Reap. And I'm thinking, this is wonderful. We had a great conversation. It was supposed to be an hour, turned into three and a half hours. Really, really good synergy. So I don't know if Cambodian is necessarily ready for that at the corporate level. Um, but again, I'm in talks with other people around the region to look at that stuff. In particular, I have some connections also in Thailand. And so one of um, a guy hired me earlier. He's a great guy. And I've worked in his company for business development for about three years. And he wants to introduce a program to the schools. And so he wants to take my profile, get some trainings together and start introducing them at the universities. And then once they're introduced at the universities, then move to organizations and look at their junior talent, their onboarding processes, and then their middle management. And so that's an interesting project that's going along as well. The receptivity in those regions, I have no idea. I'm just playing with it. Mm. So those are sort of the projected plans, so to speak. Um, but again, my main hub is still Vietnam because there's so much work to be done there. Yeah, And it's, yeah. it's joy. It's wonderful work. It really is a lot of fun. And the thing is, I want to touch on something quickly. Mm. A lot of what I do is, is generating an experience. So when I do trainings or coaching, it's, it's generating an internal experience. What is joy? What is happiness? What does it feel like to be stress-free? So you talk about what, what does it look like in an organization? And we can talk about this at the cognitive level or the logical level with metrics and case studies and all this stuff. But the best events I've ran is when people get a visceral piece of that. I can walk them through an exercise where at the end of it, they feel good or their stress has gone away mm. or they can actually appreciate, wow, when I'm relaxed, I'm more creative, I'm more innovative. I see opportunities. I don't see restrictions. It's easier to manage conflict. It's easier yeah. to take on new tasks. And so one of the companies I worked for, quite a big multinational, I did an emotional intelligence two-day program for them. And they called me back twice during COVID and they said, can you do more of that stuff that you were doing? Mm. And so they, they got 50 of their middle managers together and, you know, we did stress relief and stress management for two half day workshops. Um, and I, I think that's the exact word they use. Can you do more of that relaxation stuff for us? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but again, when people experience that at a visceral level, which is what I try to do in my trainings and my workshops, then you get it because mm. you appreciate it, what it means for you. I could tell you the benefits of workplace well-being, performance, et cetera, but, but until you actually experience that and get a taste for it, it's just not the same. And so one of my strategies moving into 2022 is start providing workshops, webinars, et cetera, to HR, decision makers, whoever it is, 
and give them a tangible experience. I don't want to talk here. Talking from the head to the head doesn't really work so well with this stuff. Heart to heart does. Provide the experience, make it tangible for people, then they really appreciate what it is. That's another reason I really want to work with the junior talent and the middle managers. Because in 10 years, they're going to remember that. And yes. they will one day be decision makers. Correct. And that's going to create ways of, right? So. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's really, I mean, that's just really great to, um, yeah, kind of work even backwards or like kind of with the, with the younger generation, because you're right, they are the leaders of tomorrow. Um, and sometimes it is really hard to change very ingrained and very set mindsets. Um, yeah, it's hard to change as tiger stripes or, um, but then with the young and especially those, I think a lot um, of people in Asia have studied overseas um, and they, you know, have seen a different way. Um, and then now they're trying to even bring it back into their yeah. organizations uh, and um, whether that's, you know, a family run business or um, a multinational or, you know, a SME that they work at. It's how do they integrate um, their learnings and the experiences overseas uh, into their, into life. their life. So, um, yeah, I just want to wish you all the best with your work. I think it's, um, I mean, it's, it sounds daunting. There's just so much to be done, but there's also such uh, opportunity um, to really make uh, yeah. long lasting changes uh, for yeah, I guess a country that who loves to work. I mean, from the outside, they all just love to work. But like you said, it's very much do um, and just for security where that will change at a certain point as well. Um, so, yeah, just one um, thought we just close off in terms of, yeah, just in your business and all your traveling and all that, how do you uh, manage your mental health uh, in light of all the demands? Um, and, and do you have any great resources that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, it really starts with habit. So, you know, I'm compelled because, you know, I have a predisposition to mental health issues and physical health issues. So for me, it's, it's a required practice. So a few things that I do almost daily without exception, meditation, two to three times a day, getting grounded, getting present, being with my body. Somatic work. Somatic work is experiencing, really is realizing that you experience the world from the inside out. So noticing your body sensations, understanding to learn to respond to things as opposed to react. Deep breathing is a great habit to get into. Um, other aspects of CBT, applied CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, so when I find myself making statements in my mind that may be self-deprecating or they may be uh, negative, I turn them into questions. Is this really the case? Or are you just telling yourself that, Brad? Or when in the past have you actually accomplished something like this? So techniques like that, that work at the, the cognitive level of uh, community, that's really important, mm. right? You know, we, we can't do anything alone. And so having a community that nourishes you, that you can share with, that you can build trust with, that you can be open to is really, really important. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I, I, I move around sometimes quite a bit, especially the past three months. And so having a community where I was anchored in was really important. Um, your, your at-home habits. So a lot of people... Sometimes the, we talk about workplace engagement, workplace resilience, workplace well-being, but the mindset and habits of the individual is so important to the way you perform at work. And so are you exercising enough? Do you have great morning routines? Um, what's your positive, what's your self-dialogue like? Are you self-deprecating? Are you hating on yourself? Are you putting too much pressure on yourself? Are you taking time away from work? Do you have a great community? All these sort of metrics that I, I sort of evaluate too. Um, very, very important stuff. Gratitude exercises every day. 
every day I go, what am I thankful for? Mm-hmm. And when I advise people that I just make it genuine. So think of stuff that you're genuinely happy for in your life, people, things, experiences, whatever it may be to sort of reprogram our way of thinking and feeling. Um, let, lots of resources. If you go to www.repurpose-u.com, which is my business website, there's lots of articles. There's going to be lots of YouTube videos coming up, free guided meditations, free somatic therapies, all sorts of stuff in the next three, probably the next month. And I'm just going to bombard it with free resources for people who are interested. And I'm speaking in particular to people working professionals. So whoever that is, I'm not speaking to an individual in terms of a position. I'm speaking to individual in terms of the challenges they're facing, which is stress and mental health and mental well-being. So there's yep. going to be lots of tools available. Great. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for the tips. And hopefully that will be helpful to our listeners, but also um, for our listeners who, you know, um, maybe are in Singapore based or elsewhere based, but have employees out in Vietnam. I think this episode definitely is really happy, uh, really helpful just to understand the working culture and, you know, people always think, you know, Asia is Asia, but it really isn't. We are really different, very diverse and very culturally different um, in how we look at things. So this, thank you for your time um, for being on this podcast. I know, you know, we were trying to record last week and you were out in, oh, where were you? Was this still Guatemala? Yeah, I think you yeah, were still in Guatemala. Guatemala. <laughs> yeah. And I was unexpectedly removed. I had a great apartment, great lighting, great sound, everything. And then long story short, I was unexpectedly removed and it wasn't malicious. It was just, hey, somebody's booked for the next week. You got to go. Yeah. And so I went to the <laughs> new place and I didn't realize how terrible the light was until I came on with you. And I'm like, oh my God, this isn't <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're literally in the dark and I can't see you. No, no, no. But yeah, yeah. I just, more that I just want to thank you for just making the time. Sure. I know it's not easy uh, where everywhere, you know, it doesn't have great internet connection or in or all the parts that needs to be in place for the podcast. So just really want to thank you for your time um, and definitely stay in touch. Yeah. So for all our listeners, um, don't, for, for, don't forget to subscribe to our Mentally Healthy Workplaces Asia podcast, wherever you do listen to podcasts. So follow our podcast LinkedIn page to stay up to date with upcoming guests. Um, and you can follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn too. If you'd like to see a short clip of this conversation and the video version will be on our podcast uh, Flourish DX YouTube page. And please stay connected with Brad and myself if you'd like to keep the conversations going. And we look forward to seeing you at the next episode. Thank you and have a wonderful day. You've been listening to the Mentally Healthy Workplaces Asia podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in Asia, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.